Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Story Cafe podcast, a reflection on life and all the things that make us who we are. I'm your host, Adriana McKenzie. I'm excited to start on this project, which has been percolating in my mind for a few years, and I finally feel ready to take the plunge. Now, what led me to podcasting in this specific podcast? First, I want to tell you about my writing journey. For years, probably 10 to 15 years now, I've been wanting to capture my own life story, my own journey, in a book. I started writing little stories, capturing some of the poetry that I write, keeping track of it. But then a year or two ago, I kind of got stuck and I couldn't figure out where to go with that. And a good friend of mine, Brian, gave me the nudge I needed to start writing again. He said just a few days a week for 20 to 30 minutes, just write. Don't get fixated on what you're writing about or how good it is. Know that a lot of what you write doesn't end up in a final product anyway. Just write. And so I did. Two or three times a week, I got up at the crack of dawn and would spend 20 to 30 minutes writing. For me, the process ended up being really cathartic. And at 42, I've had a lot of experiences in my life, and I haven't taken the time to process all of them, and writing is really helpful. What is fascinating is that the more I wrote about my life story, the more I thought about podcasting. I started lying in bed thinking about what kind of podcast I could have. What would I talk about? Who would co-host with me? How do you even record a podcast? I wondered if maybe I could read poetry. I thought maybe I could talk about existential questions. I also pondered talking about the education system and what it's like being a teacher. I started researching when I had spare time how to even start a podcast, given that I know very little about recording, very little about editing, and very little about how things end up on the internet. So while I lost sleep thinking about podcasting, I was still getting up in the morning and writing my life story. I don't really remember how it happened, but at some point I was struck with the realization that the podcast can be the storytelling. The podcast can be about life and challenge and success and resilience. And at the center of the podcast would be stories. Because as far as I'm concerned, stories are the foundation of human experience. And podcasting is a neat way to share that. Podcasting is different than writing. It's more raw and unpolished. A bit like me. It gives more space for in-the-moment thinking and reflection And it gives more space for the idea that we can change. We can change our minds. We can change our behavior. Whereas once you write something, it's there and it's it's hard to go back and shift it. Writing feels somehow more permanent where I think the journey I'm on is more fluid. So Story Cafe is the idea that grew from that dream to write my story and that real keen interest in podcasting. And through all my research... Experts often say you need to have a hook, a clear purpose, a goal. Otherwise, no one will listen to your podcast. Well, this podcast is a bit different. This podcast is more like the meandering thoughts you have while drinking coffee at a coffee shop when you have nowhere to be and nothing to do. This podcast is a pause or a moment of time when I share an idea or experience that I am wrestling with or excited about. Through that process... I hope I find my own inspiration, joy, and creativity. And I hope that the listeners are intrigued too. 
Now that you know how this all began, let me again welcome you to the Story Cafe podcast, where I reflect on life, resilience, challenge, and the human experience. So grab a hot drink, a cozy blanket, and enjoy our very first episode called Taking Risks. Today on the Story Cafe podcast, we're going to talk about risk. We're going to talk about how risk is connected to our comfort zones. We're going to talk about how fear fits in. And hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about how we stretch those comfort zones and and really stretch ourselves so we can, you know, go through life in a way that we feel good about, that we feel excited about. And so we're going to talk about risk today. For me, it feels like a good first podcast because... This whole podcasting thing feels really risky to me for lots of different reasons. Um, Fear about what people might think, fear about what I might think. So it feels like a good place to start in terms of this exploration on on life. So I want to talk about cold plunging first. Uh, I started cold plunging in 2023 to try to figure out some health issues that I have. And for any of you who haven't done cold plunges... My understanding of the research is that as long as the water is below 15 degrees, then your body has a response that over the next few hours is really beneficial. So you can get more energy, lots of different things. So I started doing that um, in August and the water wasn't, I mean, epically cold. It was like 15 degrees, which is, you know, cold, but it's only a couple degrees colder than the ocean, which I'm pretty used to. And over the last few months, as the temperature dropped, so did the temperature of my cold plunge. So I started slow and worked my way down. So yesterday when I cold plunged, it was around two degrees in my cold tub. You know, cold plunging itself isn't particularly risky. Um, I mean, you have to be careful with giving yourself a big shock. But it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. It's not enjoyable. But the benefits of it are really cool. And they have been really helping. What's interesting about cold plunging and how it tethers into this conversation is that you are forcing yourself to be in an uncomfortable place doing something that is very uncomfortable and you stay there and it's a choice to be there. And so what I do in the cold tub is I do a lot of kind of meditative breathing exercises to just stay calm. And then every once in a while I have like a little mantra based on something I might be working with. That's kind of how I kind of stay calm in the cold tub. And so a lot of cold plunging is about practicing being uncomfortable and pushing your own kind of limits. So every couple days, I purposely put myself in a physical state that is uncomfortable, that my body doesn't love initially. And in many ways, I'm training myself to be calmer. I'm training myself to be more regulated. And taking on this task has really shifted kind of how I experience hard moments in the run of a day. I feel calmer, that's for sure. Um, I definitely feel more motivated. I have a bit more energy. Um, But more than anything, it's just the practice of putting myself in a controlled but difficult situation and kind of breathing through it. And I think when we think about comfort zones and taking risks, this is the thing that is really hard, is how do you willingly stay in something that is uncomfortable or that you do not like? 
for me, the cold plunge is giving me the practice I need to kind of stretch my comfort zone. So what's interesting about risk and comfort zone, I mean, I guess it feels like the sort of thing that's like obvious when I say it, it's going to be like super ridiculously obvious, but I think it's an important part is realizing that risk is really unique to every single person. So the spaces we feel safe in, the things we feel confident to do, they're connected to our personalities, they're connected to our life experiences, both currently and in the past. And and so we all experience it really differently. If you've been in multiple car accidents, there's a strong possibility that getting in a car feels more risky to you. Some people also seem to have a higher tolerance for being uncomfortable or maybe just certain things don't make them feel uncomfortable. For some, just getting to the mall might feel scary. For others, you know, they don't really get that rush until they're jumping out of a plane. So we're all really different and we're really unique. But somewhere in there, there is a comfort zone and there's a risk zone for which when we push ourselves to do hard things, we get better. So regardless of where you fit in that spectrum, think a little bit about what changes your willingness to take a risk. Is it the people around you? Is it how you're physically feeling? Is it what's on your plate? Who's watching you? What are the things that really do impact whether you step out of your comfort zone and take a risk or not? When I first started thinking more seriously about this podcast, I reached out to my friend Brian because I knew he would take me seriously and give me a real serious nudge. Brian is a friend who's great at helping me to feel safe to take risks. And I would say he's kind of seen a lot of the risks that I've taken. He's always been a wonderful cheerleader for me. But I also have friends who help me navigate when not taking a risk is the best thing. So people who I know are really good at saying, are you doing that for the right reasons? Is that the right kind of risk that you want to take? So who are your people? Do you have people that can help you step out of your comfort zone? Do you have people that will walk alongside you as you step out of your comfort zone? I think understanding your comfort zone is so important. Um, I know that for myself, the joy and excitement and satisfaction I felt in life have all come from moments when I've taken a risk and stepped out of that comfort zone. And it doesn't necessarily mean a big thing. It could be as simple as like going to summer camp which I know like when you're a teenager doesn't feel simple, but it's, you know, not all big giant leaps of faith that stretch that comfort zone. I can't think of a single time in my life where I've grown and gotten better or felt better um, that did not involve a risk, you know. So as humans, if we want to feel happiness and excitement or if we want to grow and develop into fuller versions of ourselves or... If we want to make the world a better place, we need to take risks. Uh, But it's really easy to not. It's easy to kind of get stuck and just stay in that safe place. Uh, Over the past five years, I've been focused on how to do strategically challenging things. A lot of which is about, you know, helping my body move differently and feeling better in my body. And so... I've also been focused on like things that bring me joy and things that bring me happiness. Um, you know, I try to focus on things that support my family and ultimately things I can feel proud of. And taking risks is, I think, a really important part of that. Um, but I do think for me, it's one of the most challenging parts of that. And it's because of what I said a minute ago, right? It's easy 
to just stay in that safe zone, it's more comfortable there. I love Brene Brown's quote, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. I think what I love so much about it is it positions vulnerability as critical, right? If we want innovation, if we want to be personally innovative or innovative in our work or innovative in our communities, if we want to be creative, if we want to change things, that all comes from being vulnerable. And I just really love the idea that so many good things can come from being vulnerable. But I don't think it's helpful to talk about that without talking about the risk associated with it. And there's always risk. There's always a potential harm that can come from being vulnerable. And I think when we look at that and we explore that, that's the space in which we can actually push ourselves out of that comfort zone in a way that feels good and feels meaningful to us. So if we picture our comfort zone as concentric circles and the small circle on the inside is where you feel really comfortable, this is your safe zone. For me, that is likely in my pajamas, in my house, with no big task hanging over my head. It often includes my husband and my kids and my dog, but it's a pretty small space. Um, so thinking about, you know, what does your inner circle look like? How small is it? How wide is it? So as you add circles out from your safe zone, things get more and more uncomfortable or risky until you reach what I would call the most outer circle, uh, which I would label the cliff, right? So the cliff is the edge where you... If you were to go over it, it would cause you serious harm. It wouldn't necessarily be healthy. It wouldn't necessarily be meaningful because it's it's just too far. You've pushed too far. And, and our cliff zone moves just like our safe zone moves. It's not like a set point. Our comfort zone changes. Um, but think about that for a minute. Think about what your comfort zone looks like. Each comfort zone is a little bit different. The cliff is in a different place for everyone. So think about, you know, would you feel comfortable singing in the shower? Maybe. Maybe that's a comfortable thing. No one's at home. You're by yourself. You sing in the shower. Would you feel comfortable singing in front of a thousand people? Right? So where you do things changes how you feel about them. If you play with this idea for a little bit, you start to wonder, well, what's close to the cliff? but doesn't go over? What's really far from the cliff? How has my cliff changed or my safety zone changed um, over time? So I think about the biggest crowd I've ever had to speak in front of probably had a couple hundred people. And I was nervous, but I wasn't crippled by my fear. Um, but I can remember in grade nine, I had to do a news project. And my teacher, my social studies teacher, Mr. Campbell, we had to present our projects in front of the class. And I informed him, in all my wisdom of 14 years, that I would do the project but would not be presenting my project in front of the class because I didn't do public speaking. And Mr. Campbell, in his very gentle way, said, well, that's not really going to work because I can't mark you unless you do the presentation. And he gave some excuse that later... I mean, now as a teacher, I realize it was ridiculous, but it was his way of nudging and pushing me um, to do what I needed to do. 
and I can picture standing at the podium. I can picture my heart was raising, my palms were wet. He pushed me to do it. In fact, I didn't feel like I had an option not to do it. And maybe secretly I wanted to do it because I definitely in my other classes was refusing to do presentations and no one seemed to be able to push me to do it, but he was. And so I got up in front of that class, I talked about the project, and afterwards he gave me really lovely feedback. And so that moment where someone pushed me out of my comfort zone had a really profound impact on my life because it impacted every other time I got in front of people. I could stand up in front of 200 people and speak because of that moment in front of 24 kids in my class where I had to, and I was supported to do that. And so that's why stepping out of our comfort zone helps us to grow. It helps us to thrive. And when I started thinking about this podcast, I started thinking about like how risk changes over time. So how I took risks when I was 14 years old versus now. I started thinking about how risk changes from the moment we're born. So, you know, as an infant or a small child... Just living is, you know, a bit of a risk, right? So learning every single thing you learn how to do is a risk from learning how to swallow a nurse or drink from a bottle, you know, without choking, um, walking, climbing, eating, being away from your family. All those things are risks, but they also lead to excitement, joy, independence, uh, development, growth. They're so important. It's such a big part of the human experience. Um, So much of our childhood is about stretching that comfort zone. And then as you get to your teenage years, I think risk changes again. And it looks a little bit different. So you're kind of in a tornado of trying to figure who you are, where you fit. You're grabbing at independence in any way you can. You start taking risks for different reasons to see where the boundaries are, to see how strong you are, how brave you are. You take risks to impress other people, but also to impress impress yourself. The stakes are higher. So driving fast on a road to impress your friends is dangerous. You could lose a life doing that. Doing the right thing could get you ostracized at school. You know, but those risks can also help you feel stronger and more important and give you the first taste of freedom that you're craving as a teenager. And then I think in your 20s, it changes all over again, which maybe is, you know, what life is always like, constant change. You know, as a young adult, risk changes because you bear more of the burden of the consequences. So if you spend all your money on the weekend and you can't pay your rent, you could be up Shit's Creek and not have a place to live. You know, we're also in our 20s trying to figure out, you know, who we are and where we fit as adults in the world. And we've, we've come to the realization that When you become an adult, life doesn't magically change and you don't magically feel different, which I think a lot of us experience in adolescence. We're always just waiting for, oh, when I'm an adult, when I'm grown up, when I'm 19, when I can drive. All these things, we're waiting and waiting. And then we arrive at adulthood and we're like, it's just kind of another day. (laughs) Except now I have to do the dishes or I have to pay the bills and I have to work enough hours. So it is a really interesting time. For me in my 20s is when I started to face the reality of the choices I made in my adolescence, uh, especially around relationships and other things, other risks I took that weren't healthy. 
Um, and I really had to come to terms with the trauma I experienced and how that impacted the choices I was making. And in a big part of that, I needed to start holding myself accountable for my choices. Even though knowing, you know, when you have trauma as a child, that's not your fault. But later on, the choices we make, those are our choices. And for me, and this is just my opinion, I needed to be more accountable to the things I was doing, the choices I was making that weren't good for me. So I started to carve out what that safe zone looked like. Um, I started to take control of who was in my life and who was not. And it's an important stage where even from a work context, I started to explore differently, like who I was, how I could give back to community and what risks were going to actually better my life in the long term. I'm not an expert on risk or vulnerability, but I can say with certainty that had I not taken the time in my 20s to figure some shit out, I would not be sitting here recording this podcast. And now that I'm in my 40s, I think risk has taken on a whole new place in my life. As my body changes and my kids grow, my career has changed, I realize the risks I need to take are more emotional. It's facing the feelings I may have locked away and taking a long, hard look at who I am and who I want to be and how I want the next 40 years to look like. At this age, it's so freaking easy to just be on the train going from stop to stop. Laundry, lunches, school, repeat. Laundry, lunches, school, repeat. And as tedious as those things are, in many ways, it's easier to just stay on the tedium train. But that's not the life story I have in store for myself. So 2024 has become the year of doing things close to the cliff. Not over the cliff, but close to the cliff. Taking risks that make me feel alive and excited. I still have to do the laundry lunches repeat, but it doesn't have to be all that I am and all that I do. But I don't want to just take risks that make me a better person. I don't want to become overcome with like just being better and doing better. I want to take risks that lead me to a place of joy. I want to take risks that lead to belly laughs and new connections. I want my life to be purposeful. Not perfect, not easy, but purposeful. And as I say these things, I'm amping myself up and I can feel myself getting excited. I can feel myself starting to think, yeah, let's just do it. But the reality is, in my 40s, my biggest barrier to some of those risks is not my fear for physical safety, but it's coming to terms with the emotional stuff that's been sitting there and building for a very long time. So the biggest barrier to some of these risks is me. I'm the barrier. So like, you can train for physical challenges if you want. So if you want to run a marathon... You can get a coach, you can download a marathon training plan, you can do the research, and you work up to it. You might do one run, walk, run, walk, and then you're running, and then you're running longer, and then you're doing, you're eating in a certain way, and you're changing your stride, and you're doing speed work. There's so much training we can do to get our physical selves to a place to take physical risks. But how do you do that with emotional stuff, right? The emotional stuff is harder. How do you train to like who you are? How do you train to like your body? How do you train to not worry about what someone might think of you? How do you train to not let panic take over when you get overwhelmed? 
these are the challenges in my 40s. These are the risks that I need to take in my 40s. So I want to tell you a little bit about two separate events because this is the Story Cafe and stories are important. So last year, in the last year, I had two different experiences that are somewhat parallel, but paint a really interesting picture of what my kind of risk-taking journey is gonna be over the next probably several years. So this past fall, I signed myself up to do a duathlon. So duathlon, you do two different physical things. What's interesting is that it's still in like three sections. So the duathlon I signed up for uh, in Riverport, you do a run, then you do a bike, and then you do a run again. I signed up for the small one because Physically, that was what I thought I could manage at the time based on how much training I was going to be able to do. I didn't have anyone to go with me, but I really wanted to sign up because I find having something to work towards helps motivate me to be physically active in the summer, which is really important. And although I know, you know, I know you need to find intrinsic reasons to exercise and all that stuff, uh, but that's not where I'm at. I need a carrot dangling in front of me to work towards and that makes a huge difference for me. So I signed up for this duathlon knowing I'd probably have to go by myself and I knew going into it that that would be a big hurdle. I knew that the couple weeks leading up to the event I would probably start to look for excuses to not go because I was going by myself and I had to hold myself accountable. But I signed up anyway and I trained for the months leading up to it, uh, probably not as much as I should have, but as much as I could. And two weeks before, lo and behold, just like I expected, I started checking the weather for hurricane watches. I started checking the weather to see if there were big storms coming, would it be canceled, maybe I shouldn't drive. Um, I also started like checking in with Nick, like should I really be leaving right now, like don't we have things to do? There was nothing. There was nothing that could get me out of this event. Um, and so I talked about it with my friend Jenny on one of our bike rides. And, you know, she helped me kind of work through what it meant to go do something in that way. To just go by yourself. I mean, a lot of times these events we do with people. And she kind of helped me work through it. We talked through it. And so I decided uh, that I would do it. I would get over the biggest hurdle, which would be just showing up. And if I could show up, even if I arrived and I didn't do the event, just arriving would be success. Probably deep down I knew that if I drove all the way there, I would do the event. But I needed to just get myself a goal that I could be proud of. So I get myself to Riverport, which is just outside of Bridgewater. And it's a beautiful location along the river. I arrive with lots of time. And then I wait because I'm someone who likes to be early. I had a lot of time to wait. Also, because I was in the smallest, shortest event, it meant that we went, we started last. So there was a lot of waiting in that way too. So I needed to do, I think it was a two and a half kilometer run, a 10 kilometer bike, and then another one and a half kilometer run. So it's run, bike, run. And, you know, in reality, I could walk two and a half kilometers if the running was difficult. Um, I probably couldn't walk 10 kilometers, but I was, you know, I enjoyed biking. So as I wait for the event to start, I can feel myself getting more nervous, but I'm like, no, I'm here. I brought myself all the way here. I might as well do it. It's not going to be the end of the world. You've been getting ready for this. And so the event starts. And even though up till that point for months and months, I've been going for two and a half kilometer runs, 
The minute I started running, it felt like someone had put 10 pound weights on each of my legs. And so I did a run walk thing, probably walked more than I ran. I got through the first part of the run. My legs are tired and I get on the bike and I start going. And I like biking. This is what's wild about this story for me. I enjoy running. I enjoy biking. And when I'm at home and I do those things, they feel good. They're hard, but they feel good. And yet the minute I'm at an event like this, it all falls apart. So as I'm biking, what I realize is how unhappy I am. I'm unhappy. I'm anxious as I'm biking. All my self-talk, for the most part, is negative. It just, it kind of takes the wind out of the whole thing. So I finish the bike, and then I go and I finish the final run. And it did not help that by the, th- by the run, the one of the people who kind of monitors the race and makes sure everyone's okay, he's kind of going around on a bike, and he just is circling me. He just goes a little ways up, and then he comes back. Are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? And I realized that when I run, my face gets really red, so I do look a little bit like a walking heart attack. But it's, it's just always been this way and I do realize that I have a larger body and therefore pairing a larger body with a red face may look like I needed help but I did not need his help I could do it and I did and I finished but the minute the event finished I was so done and I could not get out of there fast enough so on the way home from the event I had myself a little cry and realize that I really needed to understand why events like this were so stressful for me. Um, Because I wanna like them. I like the work that goes into them. And when I get to go with friends, I do enjoy that kind of social piece. But I really do dislike being amongst a group of people who I don't know and who I've already decided are better than me. So in many ways, the duathlon was me falling off a fucking cliff of my comfort zone. If you do something that challenging and then you just get in the car and start crying because it was so awful, maybe you pushed a little too far. And that's where I think in the car I realized I need to stretch my comfort zone because I need that not to be the cliff. And I needed to take a good look at me to figure out what is going on that just doing something that I like to do amongst other people sends me over the edge. One of the questions I asked myself when I was driving is, you know, why am I so miserable doing something that I like? And why is it that that specific thing causes me so much stress and anxiety that I hate every minute of it. Why can't I get myself into a place that I actually enjoy an activity? And I know I enjoy the activity, so I know it is about the event. I know it has to do with going to that event, being among strangers. There's something about that that kind of I fall apart. So I'll leave that story there for a second. So January 1st, I decided to go do a polar bear dip, which is something I always said I would never do. I always thought was ridiculous. 100% I was like, those people are crazy. And here I am doing that thing. I knew that it would be a cool thing to work towards because I've been doing the cold plunging. And so I 
set myself up. I knew I was going to go to Tony River. I was going to do the polar bear plunge. As it happens, there were other people also doing the polar bear dip that day. And so we kind of organized together and we all showed up at the same time. Now, these were not strangers. These were people I know. Some were really good friends. Some were acquaintances. Some were friends of friends. Um, but a fairly like safe, supportive group in the big scheme of things. And so I showed up for the polar bear dip. I was nervous going into it mostly just because I'd never done it before, but also felt really confident that I could be in the water and I would be fine. I think if I hadn't been doing cold plunges, it would have been like way more difficult. We get there, we're the first to arrive. You might see a pattern here. I like to be early. And as people arrive, we're, you know, chatting nervously on the beach and people are getting anxious and there's lots of family and kids and people there supporting, you know, their loved ones. And it's probably like minus 12 with the wind chill, maybe even minus 15. It was really windy and really cold. So finally, someone's like, we just got to do it because we're freezing out here anyway. We all pull our, you know, outerwear off. We book it into the water. Some people get up to their knees and come back. I was able to go in and kind of float around, which was really lovely. I was definitely like hooting and hollering with everyone as I ran in. And honestly, I wasn't thinking about anyone else. I wasn't thinking about what any other person was doing. I was only thinking about myself and how cool it was that I was in the fucking ocean January 1st. I was one of the last people to get out. We put our clothes back on very quickly and run to the car because it's freezing. It was so invigorating, both the cold water, um, but also there was this brief moment that I felt like I'm just me. And I'm not worried about what anyone else is thinking, about what I look like, anyone, if anyone else is thinking about my, like me, because they're not. I know rationally when you go to events, people are not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves in the same way that I'm thinking about myself. So I was, but I wasn't thinking about any of those things. And that was really, really neat experience. And I think what it taught me is like, this is possible. If I can come here, in this social situation and do something challenging in a bathing suit and then come out and feel good about it, I can do that at other events as well. When I start to look at those two events, um, I mean, there's obviously clear differences, but I prepared for both of them. They both had other people involved. Now, one group of people were like ugh, people that you would really trust, really caring, supporting, loving people, right? The other, a group of strangers. Um, but in many ways, very similar. And I think what I realized is I need to do the emotional work. I need to turn inwards and really kind of figure out what some of these triggers are for me that turn on this anxiety when I'm at events so that I can actually enjoy the thing I want to do and not be driven by my fear, by my anxiety. I really want to get to a place where I can feel good about doing challenging things and not feel like I'm falling off the cliff. And this podcast is one of the risks that I've taken on. Um, and probably because I love writing and I, I love talking and I think I'm fairly good at it. My demise will probably, with this whole podcast thing, be the recording part, but we will leave that to later to figure out. 
And so pairing those two things that I really enjoy doing together in a space that feels kind of risky feels really exciting. It's probably one of the things I've been most excited about for a really long time. Where the rubber will hit the road with the podcast will be whether or not I take it and share it. Because that, that's like being at the duathlon with strangers. It's putting myself out there in a world where I might be judged or in a world where I might fail or I might be embarrassed and being okay with that. And I do want to get to that place. I don't know that I would ever sing in front of a room of 200 people. I don't think that would be, that might always be a cliff for me. But I do think there's a real gift we give ourselves to push ourselves into places that we didn't know we could go or push ourselves to a place where we can do challenging things and feel good about it. In primary classrooms or in lower elementary, teachers often say uh, to their students that they can do hard things. And it's often a mantra that I remind myself, I can do hard things. And so I need to you know, examine and explore what risk and comfort zone looks like for me and especially how fear ties into that. Things are uncomfortable when we are afraid, right? So fear and being uncomfortable and risk, they're all tethered together. If there isn't fear, is it a risk? And there may be people who don't experience fear just because of the way their brain is wired in the same way. Um, but for the most part, when we do something risky, there's fear. And I think from a evolutionary standpoint, fear comes in, you know, especially when it comes to like physical risk, because it's all about staying alive, right? Running from the tiger or not falling off the like actual cliff. But as we've evolved, a lot of risk is connected to actually how we feel and that we, how we might be emotionally harmed. When I stopped to examine what happened at that duathlon... And I really start to think about what was going through my head. A lot of it was fear that I might fail, fear that I might be judged, fear because I don't like what my body looks like and I want it to look differently. Uh, I want my body to do different things. So fear that people might see what I see. It's probably ultimately what I was experiencing. And realistically, in those events, other than the guy on the bike that was making sure I wasn't going to have a heart attack, no one is thinking about you. And if they are, it's, it's actually, if someone's judging me for what I look like, that's actually none of my business. That's their business, not mine. But what is my business is my own judgment of myself and how that impacts how I go through the world. So as we look at the concept of risk and comfort zones, there's a deep dive we need to do into our own self-value and our own self-worth. That's really important. And that's the task that I've set on myself for the next, probably, I mean, it's probably a forever task, but it's certainly a task that I'm taking on over the next year because I want to go to these events. I think they're really awesome. I love the volunteers. Take the time to put them on. And I want to be one of those people when someone passes me and they say, oh my gosh, isn't this so awesome? I want to say yes and I want to mean it. Currently, I go, yeah, but what I really think in my head is like, no, this is awful. And that's not the experience I want. When my kids were little, and even still, I taught them about this concept of the fear monster. 
And I used to tell them that we all have a fear monster and the fear monster is there to try to keep us safe. So the fear monster tells us, you know, if we climb up on a roof, that that's dangerous and we should probably get down, not jump. You know, our fear monster is there to keep us safe. But sometimes the fear monster takes control and doesn't understand the difference between things that are safe and things that are not safe. So speaking in front of a class, for me, I wasn't someone who was bullied in school. I wasn't someone who was teased. In many ways, it was pretty safe. It was low risk, but it did not feel that way. And so we have to teach our fear monster what are the things that are appropriate to be afraid of and what are the things that are not. So I spent years teaching my kids about the fear monster. And what I've realized is I need to take my own advice at the age of 42 and really start thinking about why my fear monster takes over in these moments. And I need to gain more control over that. It doesn't mean that you're not nervous and it doesn't mean that you're not worried of course you're going to have those feelings, but they shouldn't control you. You should be in control of them. And I'm just at the beginning stages of diving into some of this stuff, and I know it's connected to childhood trauma and childhood experiences. How I choose to proceed and how I choose to deal with those things is going to be the difference. I need to stare at that fear monster. I need to stare at myself and I need to start naming the feelings that I have. I think it's Adam Grant. Could be someone else. I think it was Adam Grant that says you have to name it to tame it. And it's not, you know, just naming it isn't the full extent of what you need to do, but it's a big part. And so that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with comfort and risk. And, you know, no matter where you are, you are at with it. I hope that, you know, anyone who's listening takes time to think about, like, what does it mean to take risks in your life? How important is it to take risks? For me, I want to live a life that, you know, when I come to the end of it, I can feel like I tried some things. I had some fun. I had great people around me. But I also want to role model to my kids that they can take risks and they can tackle these challenging things in their lives. And it's really important to do that. I am going to continue to be uncomfortable in trying new things because I think that we all are. Um, But I can change how I view that and I can change the lens for which I experience those things. You know, I think risk taking is, you know, has a lot of positive things about it. But when I think about the feelings we experience with risk, it's often the negative ones that drive us, that push us. They take control. It's that fear monster all over again. One of the realities when we are kind of unbalanced in our feelings about risk and comfort zones, when we feel all the negative stuff but not the positive stuff, is that we start to say things like, why would I do that when it's going to make me uncomfortable? Why would I make myself uncomfortable? If we can't see the end zone, we can't see the point or the purpose or how we might grow or how we might laugh or how we might have fun, we start to just turtle in and we we just stay in this really safe place. And sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes we have people around us that help nudge us out of that comfort zone. Um, but that fear of not being hurt is, is really strong. That fear of not being embarrassed, that's big. Uh, so that's why, I mean, I think that's why I'm doing this. I think that's why I'm doing this podcast. It's why I'm talking about risk today. I want to be the kind of person that goes on a polar bear dip and does the things I never thought I would do. 
I want to push myself physically because I, you know, I want my body to work in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. I don't want to just stay in the safe zone. I don't think the safe zone is nearly as fun. It's comfortable, but it's not as fun. And I don't want my kids to be in a world where they feel like they have to stay in that safe zone and that they can't have fun and explore and push themselves. In my childhood, I had a lot of stuff happen and I pushed and I clawed and I crawled my way out of those things to a life that I have a a really lovely life. And I have it because I did the work. And here I am today doing this podcast because I was resilient and I had grit. And the next 40 years of my life, I want to have that same resilience. I want to have that same grit. And so that's why we're talking about risk today. Because that's what I think more people need to step into. Is looking at their comfort zone. Looking at their fears. Confronting their fear monster. You know, asking themselves. If I was just a little less afraid, what would I do? What would I do if I didn't think I would fall on my face and be embarrassed? What would I do if I knew the outcome was going to be worthwhile. Because I think in so many ways, the outcome is almost always worthwhile. And I'm not talking about throwing like thousands of dollars at stock markets. I'm talking about, you know, talking to that person that you've been really wanting to have a conversation with. Or leaving your house to go to the mall, even though that might be really scary. Or signing up to do a 5K even though you've never run a day in your life. Whatever that is for you. Whatever that thing that's been niggling you at the back of your mind that you've wanted to do but you're too scared to do. Those are the things that build us up. Those are the things that make us more resilient. I think there's this quote by Gary Vee. Life shrinks and expands depending on the proportion of your willingness to take risks and try new things. So what risks will you take? How far will you expand your life? Where's your comfort zone begin? Where's it end? And what do you want it to look like? I know that my taking risks and pushing myself as a role model for my kids, it makes me happier. It makes me more joyful. It makes me like get, it makes getting through the hard stuff easier. But what is that for you? So I'm going to wrap up episode one of Story Cafe. I hope you enjoyed uh, my ramblings about risks and comfort zones. Um, be be gentle with me because this is my first round. Um, but I do hope that you walk away thinking a little bit about, you know, what are, what are the risks that you take and how they paid off in the past and how might they pay off in the future and how can you find joy? So I hope you'll join us for more reflections on life, all the hard stuff that happens and all the good stuff that comes from it. Bye for now.